This is an audio presentation of God First Church, Cheltenham, England. A community of Jesus followers, worshipping God first, proclaiming God first, and together living God first lives. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk. We're doing a series called uh, Revolutionary Stories, the Parables of Jesus. And just as I've been saying each week, these parables are not little Sunday school stories. So you can make kind of little finger puppets of donkeys and things like that. They're actually revolutionary stories. They're revolutionary stories of God's plan to change and transform a broken world. And and this week we're going to talk about uh, how the world is addicted to belonging and position and how the world loves, and we talked about this a little bit with the Good Samaritan, what are the limits? The, 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 the Pharisee asked the Good Samaritan, that asked Jesus, what's the limits of, my, of love? Should I, should I love the Jews or should I love beyond that? What's, who's my neighbor? And so in this parable, we continue that theme where Jesus uh, breaks down the walls of the insider and the outsider, the one at the top of the hierarchy and the one at the bottom hierarchy, and, swips, and, and switches it all around. And that is massively revolutionary. And Jesus often does those kind of big switches, the outsider brought in, the, the low lifted up, he does that often around meals, because uh, for Jesus, and I think if you read the Bible, there's loads of mountains and meals, uh, for, for Jesus, meals are what's called enacted theology. In other words, what you believe is acted out through who you eat with and how you eat. So, and, and we're in a society that's obsessed with food. You know, I, I mean, without being controversial, which actually I cannot do that, uh, you know, we, we don't really mind what you do physically, sexually, but we're obsessed with what you do with food. You know, society's really focused around what you do with food, but, but actually quite chilled about what you do, do, do sexually. And that's a huge culture change. And, and actually, so, so food really matters. Food really matters. What we do with our food, how we do, who we eat with, shows what we really believe. And so Jesus is in one of those situations again where he's about to shock everybody. Somebody came to me last week and said, oh, you're quite shocking as a preacher, quite challenging. We love this church, you're quite challenging. And I thought, oh, am I really too challenging? And then I read this passable about Jesus and I think, he is absolutely outrageously challenging. You know, we've got this idea, gentle Jesus, meek and mild. He is absolutely challenging. If, he, if you invite to Jesus for a meal, man, you better buckle up because he is going to throw you down the stairs and you're going to thank him for him afterwards. That's a quote from Spurgeon, by the way. He said, that's what Jesus does, throws you down the stairs and thank you for So I'm going to throw you down the stairs, as I do every week, and you're going to thank me for it afterwards. Amen. Okay, so we're in Luke 14. And it's a long reading because the whole, the whole thing fits together. Um, and you might have been doing this if you've been reading the Bible through the, uh, the New Testament five by five with us this year. You might have come across this over the last week or two. So one Sabbath, that's a Saturday, but Sunday in our thinking, uh, when Jesus went to eat at the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. There in front of him was a man suffering with an abnormal swelling of his body. Some translations say dropsy. Nobody knows what dropsy is, and nobody knows what an abnormal swelling of the body is, but the guy's not well. Okay, and uh, Jesus asked the Pharisees and the experts of the law, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? 
but they remained silent. So taking hold of the man, he healed him and sent him on his way. I love Jesus, just, yeah, we'll just heal him and send him on his way and carry on what we're doing. If we had that, we're like, whoa, healing. Uh, sent him on his way. Then he asked him, if one of you has a child or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull it out? And they had nothing to say. Now he told a parable of those who were invited, uh, no, and he told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose the places of honour, saying to them, when you're invited uh, by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit in the place of honour, lest someone more ding- distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who's invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this person, and then you'll begin, uh, will begin with shame to take the lowest seat. And when you're invited, go and sit in the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he'll say to you, friend, come up higher. And then you'll be honoured in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Then also, he said also to the man who had invited him, so this is the host, he says, When you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbours, lest they'll also invite you in return and you'll be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame and the blind, and you'll be blessed because they cannot repay you, but for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. When one of those who reclined at table heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat eat bread in the kingdom of God. And then Jesus said, Uh, said to him, once a man gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time of the banquet, he sent his servants to say to those who had been invited, come, everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I bought a field and must go out and see it. Please excuse me. Another one said, I bought five yoke of oxen and I'm going to examine them. Please excuse me. Another one said, I've married a wife and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to the servant, Go quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind and the lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you commanded has been done and there's still more room. And the master said to him, Go into the highways and hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be full. For I tell you, none of these men who were invited shall taste my banquet. Jesus, I love the way that you just get straight to it. That you cut through this polite dinner party and get straight to the heart. Lord, as I prepared this, it's almost like it's too challenging for me. Lord, and I know it's going to be challenging for us, but Lord, we know that actually deep in this passage, there's massive, massive grace for us to be drawn in. Massive grace for us to come and massive grace for us to invite others to join us in the great banquet. Amen. Okay, so let's set out the context. Jesus is once again uh, being invited to dinner. He's at the house, uh, Luke tells us, of a prominent Pharisee. So this is not just kind of some religious leader. This is like top dog religious leader. This is, you know, bishop, archbishop, we don't know. He's kind of a top dog religious leader. And it's a Sabbath meal. So this is an uptown guy, prominent uh, and an inside guy. He's uh, in a theocracy where the religious leaders were also the political leaders. This guy is, he's a big shot. He's up, he's an up guy because he's, he's prominent and presumably wealthy. And that's why he can throw a big meal. And he's an inside guy because he's a man. 
and is a religious leader at the centre of society. Now, you've heard me say this before, but I, I, I still find it staggering uh, how the Jews kind of missed the point in sense. But, but the way they would structure society, if you were a man, you were the centre of society. If you're a religious man, you're the centre of the men. If you're a priest, you're at the centre. In fact, the way they did the, the, the kind of courts in the temple was like this. If you were a priest, a religious man, you're right at the centre. Then it was the men. Then it was the Jewish women, Jewish men, Jewish women. And then it was the blind, the lame, the cripples, who were Jewish. And then the outsiders were Oslot, the Gentiles. That's how their social hierarchy worked. That's how the, when, when, the, the, when the lawyer's asking about the Good Samaritan, he's saying, well, where does, where, where, where does the love stop in this socially hierarchical world? Where, where does it stop? And Jesus is invited to a meal, and, it says, and Luke says he's being carefully, carefully watched. Now, I know that sometimes we're carefully watched when we go to dinner, and, and I'm often told that, that I speak with my mouth full. Socially acceptable where I'm from, obviously not socially acceptable here. I do apologize. You know, and, uh, and we, we went to a lovely dinner earlier this week, and there was a large amount of lovely vegetables which is, again, a big deal where I'm from because it's like, you know, it's meat and two veg. And, and so, you know, there's social acceptable rules. And they were kind of watching Jesus, but I don't think they were watching him to see what his dietary requirements were. They were watching, really, in this very stratified society, they were watching to see if he was an uptown insider. <coughs> was he going to be acceptable company? Now, the fact that he was doing religious and spiritual things, and he's a man, they were thinking maybe he's a really, really a right insider. So they invite him and find out. They're kind of uh, watching him. And then what they do is that they set him a little test. Because it seems like, where's this guy with this swelling of the body? Where, where's he come from then? You know, imagine you're around... Um, I won't say where we were for dinner. Let's choose someone else's. Let's say you're around at the huntings for dinner and suddenly they're just kind of trying to find out uh, what I think about something and in, they bring in this random Leeds United fan and, and, and they see how I react to him. You know, obviously Steve Moat, he's a Man United fan, and say, you cast the man out. And I'd be thinking, yes, I, I thought it was excellent. We're at a wedding yesterday. The, the bride and groom left to the Leeds United song, Marching On Together. It was a high moment for me. <laughs> I sang, when I survey the Wondrous Cross, volume 10, I sang Marching On Together, the Leeds United song, 9.8. I mean, I was tempted to go 11.5, but I think, no, it wouldn't work for me. Yeah, so they bring, they bring this man in as a little test. How is he going to react to him? Because he is one of the diseased, blind, lame, paralyzed, outsider kinds, and they just bring him in. I suspect that this guy's poor, he's been begging at the back door, and they go, oh, you'll be handy, and they bring him in. They bring him into the dinner party, and he's kind of standing there. Because they know what Jesus is going to do. Jesus is going to reach out and touch the guy and heal him. That is shocking for them, because if somebody with disease reached out and touched one of the upside-inside guys, they became unclean. You wouldn't touch them. Their uncleanness was contagious, but Jesus' cleanness, Jesus' righteousness is contagious, and he touches the outside disease guy and immediately is healed. You'd think at this point... 
they'd be happy. No, they weren't. They should have at that point, when the guy's been healed and cleansed, they should have said, squish up, let's create a space at the table. But they don't. He goes on his way. And what they're doing is, they really don't care about the guy that's been healed. What they're saying is, what is Jesus all around? And they make this silent judgment on Jesus. He's a dangerous outsider. And he's very, very fortunate to be at the table with them. Now Jesus, if he'd have been a bit insecure, he might have felt, well, you know, I'll just be very polite. I don't know what you're like if you meet... Have you ever met anybody really very famous? But, yeah, it's gone, Alex. I know who you met. Tell us who you just met recently. Oh, you've met him before! <laughs> you use, he, he's an, Alex is an uptown, inside guy. He meets with the prince all the time. If I meet people that are, that, that are kind of like uptown... I, I become quite ingratiating... Yes, 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 yes. Oh, yes. Prominent Pharisee, please. Thank you. Oh, yes. You, you, I might, you might not think I do that, but probably when I'm thinking that, I probably think, I shouldn't be doing that, so I say something silly and outrageous. Jesus is cool. He just gets to this. He says, let me tell you a little story, boys. There was obviously no women there. Now, he told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose the places of honour, saying to them, when you're invited by someone at a wedding feast, do not sit down at the place of honour, lest someone bit more distinguished would be invited by him. And, and he who's invited you will say to both of you, go and sit in the low place. Sit at the bottom place, and then the one who's at the, will say, come on up. It sounds like Jesus is giving a bit of nice dinner advice, doesn't it? It sounds like, a, here's, a, here's a little bit of dinner etiquette. If you go into Will and Amanda's wedding in the nice barn in Brookworth, you know, you will have a place. It was a really long, thin barn, and there was, it didn't quite look as glamorous as that, but there was a top table, and then the, t- the other tables, as, in quite Oxford College way, kind of ran away in the long line from the, uh, from the tables, from the top table. And, and I sat six paces up from the bottom, Actually, I was sitting next to Hattie, so I didn't feel too bad. Uh, and, and I looked at Hattie and I said, do you think that the more important people are sitting further up? So there's Paul and Molly, halfway up. I think, mm. yeah, Johnny and Lena, I thought, no, no, it's not working that way. They're even further up. It cannot, it cannot be socially stratified, this meal. It's okay. I'm not on the outside. But it's almost like Jesus isn't saying, now don't go swapping the name cards around. You know, if you think, well, I should be further up here, I'll swap the name card, Johnny and Lena. What do they, they definitely need to be down here. Johnny and Lena, I'm going up here. Ding. You know, that's what's happening. We'll go swap the name. Jesus isn't saying, no, no, don't swap the name cards around. You know, a little bit of de- dinner etiquette. What he's saying is, guys, you're so socially stratified, it's, it's frustrating because I bet... If you're doing the wedding plan, sitting doing the seating plan for a wedding, it's quite stressful, isn't it? The mother-in-laws are in, and everybody's in there. Oh, no, no, he needs to sit there. He needs to sit higher up. Imagine doing that every time you sat down for dinner. That's Jewish culture. Every time. That was Roman culture. Every time you sat down to dinner, you had to have a seating arrangement, and the seating arrangement said, where you sit, how far up and in 
side you were and how, or how far down and out you were. In fact, if you're really down and out, you're at the kitchen door begging for scraps. But Jesus is saying, I just saw you all manoeuvring for position. Because obviously people don't come socially numbered, do they? They don't come numbered like 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14. Okay, so 9 sits there, then 10, and then 11, then Johnny and Lena. <laughs> now, it doesn't come socially strife like that. So you always go into these situations and think, I should be higher up, I should be lower down. Does, does anybody else think that? You liars. <laughs> but what happened in the Jewish society, they're like moving their name cards and swapping. And it's like desperate, because what they thought... They were addicted to significance of position. Addicted to the significance of position. Humanity's compulsive desire is to make our way to the life's top table. Yes? We've been told that if you get to the top table, you will feel happy. And every step you make up the table seating, the happier you will be. In fact, the, the story starts with a meal, doesn't it, in active theology. Adam and Eve are told, you've got, you're sitting at the top table, but you're not at the very top seat. Top seat's for God. devil comes and says, how do you feel? You're not at the very top seat. Why don't you be at the top seat? They reach out, take a meal. They want to be at the top seat. They're thrown out of the feast. Ever since that humanity has been struggling to put ourselves at the top table. We won't be satisfied even sit next to God. We want to sit at the very top table. And we've got this strange thing with hierarchy. I, I'm trying to preach the Bible here. If this sounds like social commentary, forgive me. But, but we've got this strange thing with hierarchy. Because what happens is, if you sit at the top of hierarchy, you tend to think... Everything is well with the world. You tend to think that you're at the top of the hierarchy because you deserve to be at the top of the hierarchy. Because it's a meritocracy and I'm at the top of the hierarchy and I deserve to be top of the hierarchy. So a guy from Eton becomes Prime Minister again and everything's right with the world. If you're at the bottom of the hierarchy, you start to say... Everything's wrong with the world. That when you rile against those at the top. It's all about the, the, it's all about the, the, the many and not the few, isn't it? It's about the many. You know, Jeremy Corbyn's got one line, hasn't he? The many, not the few. I think, please say something else, Jeremy. Okay, but you know, you, if you sit at the bottom of the hierarchy, if you sit at the bottom of the hierarchy, you want a revolution. But do you know what happens when you kick the guys off the top table and sit there? You think everything's fine with the world. That's what the Soviet revolution was. They, you know, kick out, they kick out the czar and sit at the top table and think everything's fine with the world. But this idea of position and significance is absolutely inbred with us. And Jesus comes to turn everything upside down. He's the one from the top table. But he comes to turn everything upside down. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Jesus makes it clear that those who are addicted to significance, who think the top table promises ultimate fulfillment, will end up restlessly dreaming and scheming for the top table, but will end up being shamed and humbled. It's not going to work. 
One of the guys at the top table, he doesn't get it. He shouts out when Jesus says this, blessed is everyone who will eat the bread in the kingdom of God. He's basically saying, look at us. We're definitely going to be invited to the big, big banquet that's in the Bible, aren't we? And everybody looks around and goes, well, of course we are. This idea of a big banquet was embedded in the Jewish mindset. Uh, When we did did Exodus, you might remember that God had a meal with the elders of Israel, brought bread and wine, we'll be doing that later, brought bread and wine with the elders of Israel on top of Mount Sinai. And Isaiah talks about this meal very quickly, Isaiah 25. We didn't preach it when we did Isaiah. Uh, We didn't have time to do it, but basically Isaiah says this. On this mountain, so it's picking up the story of Moses, but it's talking about the mountain of the Lord, and that would be Jerusalem. And then, on this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all people. A banquet of the best meats, notice, and of the finest wines. No vegetables. The best meats and the finest wines. On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all people. The sheet that covers all nations, he'll swallow up death forever. Isaiah is saying there's going to be a meal at the end of the world where death's going to be no more, where death's going to be destroyed, and everybody's going to come. Israel's going to come, and all nations are going to come. There's going to be this big meal. By the time Jesus had arrived, they'd reinterpreted that in a, in a part of their extra writers called the Turgum, and said, actually, what's going to happen is that, that Isaiah didn't get the full picture. He's going to invite the, the, the Jewish guys, he's going to invite the Jewish men, and then he's going to invite the Gentiles, and then what's going to happen is God's going to slaughter all the Gentiles because they could not change their mindset. And Jesus is going to say, look, no. Isaiah had it right, there's going to be a meal with an invitation for everyone. So Jesus explodes that insider entitlement with this story. A man once gave a great banquet. They'd know that that's God. They'd know that that's God. And invited many. At the time of the banquet, uh, at the time... Uh, Sorry, and the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who were invited, come, for everything is now ready. They all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I bought a field and must go out and see it. Please excuse me. Another one said, I bought five yoke of oxen. I'm going to examine them. Please excuse me. Another one said, I've married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. Now you need to understand, in Middle Eastern banquets, what they did is they'd send the, the invite out, They'd send the invite out, and then they'd think, okay, we need this much, this, these many animals slaughtered, this much meat and potatoes, or whatever they had, and that's how much we'd have. And then when they'd cook it all up, and then they'd run around the village and say, food's ready. Now, we don't do that, but what we kind of have is we kind of phone a person up or even text them or say to them, you're going to come around for dinner, and they say, yeah, I'll come. And then they, they come to the house, don't they? And, and they they're sort of sit in your house. I mean, in the, we, we sort of do it in the kitchen because um, we like everybody in together. But in the old days, they used to sit you in the front room. Whatever. They used to sit you in the front room and then, you know, the poor lady would be cooking 
the guy would be in the front room chatting. And then the, the, the hostess would come in and say, the food's now ready. So you've got this idea of a double invite. It's quite important, a double invite. It's not just that they were saying, do you want to come? No, I can't make it. They'd already said they were going to come. They're sitting in the front room, waiting to be invited into the dining room, and at this point they make their excuses. It's a little bit... Ah, it's a bit like this. I've got to cut the grass. I've got to feed my cat. I've got to go now and have sex with my wife. I mean, (laughs) that's exactly what they're saying. It's like the master of the banquet, has got all the food ready, it's all cooking, and he says, right, we're coming now, and they go, oh, hang on a minute, I've got to go and uh, cut my grass. Really? There's no way you're going to cut your grass. You know, don't be ridiculous. If you, at 7 o'clock at night, you know, you sit down for the... 7.30 is when you sit down, isn't it? And you're never going to say, I'm going to cut my grass. You think, it's a bit rude. But I'll, I'll let that one slide. And then the next one says, I've got to go home and feed my cat. I actually did have to sneak out of the wedding to go and feed our dog, so I hope that Will and Amanda didn't notice. Uh, it wasn't the wedding service, by the way. It was in, in the speeches. So I missed the speeches to feed my dog. But how about this one? Just so Jesus knows it's been outrageous. Jesus says, come and sit down for dinner. And your guests say, I think I'm going to pop home and have a bit of sex with the missus. <laughs> you go, you're having a laugh, aren't you? You really, really? Is that what you're saying? And it's, do you see what, why it's insulting? Because there's such ridiculous reasons. They, these These excuses are designed to publicly dishonour and insult the master of the banquet. Basically saying, I'm not interested. I'm I'm not going to come. I'm not interested. I'd rather be with my cat, my lawnmower, my wife, than than, than be with you. And you've got to understand, in an honour and shame culture, these are really, really dishonouring. It's really dishonouring to the master of the banquet. I thought about this, and I thought, should I say this or not? But actually, in one one sense, when, when when we come to Jesus, we've received the first invitation. Jesus says, come to me, and I'll give you life. Come to me, all you weary and heavy laden, and I'll come. I remember when I was 11 years old, they sang even a song, O Lamb of God, I come, just as I am, without one plea. And you get out the aisle, and you go down the front, whoops, excuse me, and you say, right, I'm becoming a Christian. And at that point, you say to yourself, I'm, I'm, I'm a Christian. I'm in. My, my sister responded at the same time, and she went and lived like a Christian for the next 15 years. I did not live like a Christian for the next 15 years, but I thought, I'm in. I've accepted the first invite of something individual and personal. But the reality, God's invitation... And God's invitation is, you need to be at the table. You need to come. There's a daily invitation from God, come. There's a daily invitation from God, come. So when you say, uh, uh, you know, God says, come and spend time with me. Read my word, pray, commune with me. There's a daily invitation and you say, I've got to go on social media. Do you want time with the Lord of the universe? No, I'm going to go on social media. I need a lie in because I was out late last night. You know, 
I mean, we don't usually say, I'm about to have sex with my wife, but, you know, whatever. But, you know, but, but understand the nature of those invitations. And, and I feel there's an element with church, and I'm not saying that I'm God, but I'm saying there's an element where I'm the steward of the banquet, and I say, come and eat. And you say, got better things to do. Better things to do. You cannot participate in the banquet from a distance. You may feel entitled to a seat at the Lord's table and he'll keep it for you because you prayed a prayer when you were 11 years old. And let's not discuss the theology, but the truth is you have to take that seat on a regular basis. I'm not talking about church attendance, I'm saying committing your priorities Bigger than your cat, bigger than your garden, bigger than your marriage. It's tragic, isn't it? The story of Israel's story is that God invited them to the great banquet and they thought their seats at the table were theirs by right. You talk to a Jewish person and they still feel that, and I'm not against Jewish people. They still feel that their their position at the banquet is theirs by right. Rather than because God has graciously invited them. They see themselves as upside insiders, not as lame, broken outsiders. And we can do the same. We can do the same. We can think, I'm entitled, I'm at the centre, I've got a seat at the table, however I live, however I respond to the second invitation. And and Jesus says this over Jerusalem, but I think he sometimes says it over Christians, sometimes says it over the church. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how how often I've longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. Look, your house is left empty. Your place is left empty. You weren't willing. And then Jesus describes God's reaction. So the servant reported these things and said to his master, and the master of the house became mildly indifferent. No, God gets angry. You think, that's a little bit aggressive, God, isn't it? I thought you just... didn't really mind how I responded to your invitation. But he's only angry for a moment. It says his anger lasts for a moment, but his grace for all the lifetime. He says, go then into the streets of the lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and the blind and lame. Jesus is taking those that that all the the insiders thought were unfit to come in, and he uses that exact phrase, crippled and blind and lame. He says, come on. God is inviting them in. That's always God's plan. The tragedy is invite insiders only invite their own. When you give a dinner, Jesus says, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbours, lest they invite you in return and you will be replayed. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because you cannot repay you for you'll be repaid at the resurrection of the just. The way you obtained influence, uh, you know, when you get t- in Jewish culture, they w- t- obtained influence by inviting the right people to dinner. The Jews, 
invited the right people. The Romans invited the right people. The way they got to was they'd offer hospitality and largesse to the right people to climb the ladder. Because then it would work like, you owe me. And they'd have to invite you back. It was socially acceptable to feed the poor, but as I've said, but only as a display of wealth and generosity. Like a big check on kind of children in need day. But the plebs never ate at the table with the patricians. It may not be so obvious in the 21st century, but little has changed when it comes to our guest lists. And my guest lists. We invite our friends and family and those who fit our socioeconomic and our demographic profile. We love our hidden cliques. And the thing is that Christians and churches should be the most welcoming place. But sadly, we can be the most socially selective bunch of all. I do it. Somebody comes in who fits us a particular demographic... And, you can, and, and I go and talk to them. I think, I'm going to go and talk to them. Somebody else comes in with a different demographic, and I think, it might be a bit hard to talk to them. Maybe someone else will talk to them. Certain demographics in this church, if you're a visitor, will get invited out straight away. Loads. Amazing welcome in this church. Other demographics, no one invites them. Jesus is saying, don't do that. Tim Keller in a quote that throws you down the stairs and it makes me feel sad about who I am and how we can, who we can be. He says this, Jesus' teaching consistently attracted the irreligious whilst offending the Bible-believing, religious people of his, the Bible-believing religious people of his day. However, in the main, our churches today do not have this effect. The kind of outsiders that Jesus attracted are not attracted to contemporary churches, even the most avant-garde ones. We tend to draw conservative, button-down, moralistic people. The licentious and the liberated or the broken and marginal avoid church. That can mean only one thing. If the preaching of our ministers and the practices of our people does not have the same effect on outsiders that Jesus did, then maybe we're not declaring the same message as Jesus did at all. What does our, what does my meal table, what does your meal table, what do our group's meal table say about what really matters? One of the things that we've been doing in our group is we've been doing this thing called Big, big Food, where basically we've been deliberately inviting people who are not part of our group. So we did a really big food for Christmas. There were so many we couldn't fit them all at the table, it's quite biblical. And we did a big food for Easter, and we're doing big food, and we're saying to these people who are not part of our Christian clique, come for food. It's absolutely revolutionary. We don't think it's revolutionary, but it is. Nobody crosses boundaries in that way. Now, I must admit, there's not a huge number of poor and vulnerable and broken in that group. But we're still trying. The thing is, God is this eternal community of three. He's, got no, he's no heavenly clique, is there? God's not a heavenly clique. He's always the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit. They've lived together in loving community for all eternity. Actually, the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit, are obsessively committed to inviting in those who are not like them. The master of the heavenly feast is determined to bring in you, made from the inorganic dust of the earth, to sit at the table with him. 
Jesus took on flesh and came down and went out to bring you in and up. So that again, Jesus took on human flesh, came down and went out to bring you in and up. We are the poor who've nothing to buy our way in. We're the lame, incapable of dragging ourselves to his top table. We're the blind, unaware of our own brokenness and God's goodness. Jesus is on a mission to bring us in. On the cross, Jesus carried our sin and brokenness. He's dragged outside the city and cast down, regarded as human garbage by the elite, dying a slave's death so he can bring us in. Finish with two verses. What's God doing? What should we be doing? Psalm 113. Who is like the Lord our God? The one who sits enthroned on high. He's up and in. He sits enthroned, but he stoops down to the earth. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ashes and seats them high up with princes. That's the mission of the church. Jesus, in the last hours before he was crucified, they have a meal together and and ours is a pale imitation because there was lamb and all sorts of stuff and lots of five cups of wine and we just give you a small little bit of grape juice. But but Jesus took the the meal and said, I want to share this with you. Luke 22, 14 says, When the hour has come, Jesus is in his apostles, that means sent ones, is the one who go out to bring in the people, compel them. To, do you know why it says compel them to come in? Because they couldn't believe they were invited. They couldn't believe they were invited. Those that thought they were entitled didn't come, but those that were, were, far out were invited couldn't believe they had to be compelled to come in. He said, And his apostles sent out, reclined at the table, and said to him, I've longed to eat this Passover meal with you before I suffer. Jesus longs to invite us into the big banquet. He said, I tell you, I'm not going to eat this banquet again until I find fulfillment in the big story of God, in the kingdom of God. And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it and gave it to them saying, come, everything's now ready. This is my body, given for you, did this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after after (laughs) supper, He took the cup and said, this is the cup of the new covenant, the new way of doing things, a new promise, a new reality in my blood which poured out for you. This is a radical meal, people. There's an invitation to this meal again and again. Jesus invites us again and again and sometimes we're find ourselves, I find myself full of excuses. I'm invited to his presence again and again and find myself full of excuses. And Lord, we say, forgive us for our feeble excuses. Forgive us for our half-baked priorities. Forgive us for putting the cat with the kin and choosing the cat. Lord, it's ridiculous, and we pray, forgive us for it. I pray that we would be, as a people, different from the culture, that we wouldn't think that we're entitled, but we realize it's your grace and your broken body and your shed blood that's brought us in. 
And I pray, Lord Jesus, that we would understand how amazing it is that you've brought us in the blind and the lame and the crippled and the unworthy and the unclean and you've touched us and made us clean. And I pray like that steward, we go into the highways and byways and invite people in. Give us that missionary drive, Lord Jesus. Lord, where we're good at reaching those that are like us, help us as a church to be good at reaching those that are not like us. Lord, where we're good at meeting people who are clever, help us meet those that struggled at school. Where we're good at meeting people whose lives are tidy and neat, help us to reach those whose lives are broken and chaotic. Because that's who we are in all reality, Lord. So I pray as we take this meal, we put aside our significance and our desire to belong and say, I am what you say I am. I am what you say I am. I'm a child of God. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk.